Not only is all your affliction momentary, not only is all your affliction light in comparison to eternity and the glory there, but all of it is totally meaningful. Every millisecond of your pain from the fallen nature or fallen man, every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory you will get because of that. I don't care if it was cancer or criticism. I don't care if it was slander or sickness. It wasn't meaningless. It's doing something. It's not meaningless. Of course you can't see what it's doing. Don't look to what is seen. When your mom dies, when your kid dies, when you got cancer at 40, when a car careens into the sidewalk and takes her out, don't, don't say, it's meaningless. It's not. It's working for you an eternal weight of glory. Therefore, therefore, do not lose heart. But take these truths and day by day, Focus on them. Preach them to yourself every morning. Get alone with God and preach His Word into your mind until your heart sings with confidence that you are near and cared for. Good morning, guys. Welcome to NBC Church this morning in a bit of a different setting. This is just our our yard here. Uh, We want to welcome you to uh, the service this morning. Welcome to all the visitors out there. My name's Luke. And uh, yeah, we just want to uh, encourage you this morning with a little bit of a reading about what to do during this crazy, crazy time. Um, So I found this article from uh, Matthias Media uh, about showing kindness through COVID-19. And it says this. Look for ways to show kindness. Unexpected kindness can mean a lot to someone who's sick, isolated, or afraid. For example, if you're well and you've no close contact with someone who's sick or self-isolating, you might like to put together a care package, cook a meal, or offer to run some errands for someone. But pay scrupulous attention to personal hygiene and minimizing the spread of the infection. We want to spread loving kindness only. The outbreak provides an opportunity for us to reach out beyond our family and church. Into the community. Find out what your church is doing in the community. Join your local Facebook page or search hashtag viral kindness to see how you can help your neighbors. There's lots of ideas out there. However, be realistic about what you can do and don't and can't and exercise wise love. We need to keep in mind that we're all in need of God's grace and we're not exempt from difficult times. So we need to be willing to put in care, so giving care and receive care. We have a tendency to want to conceal our neediness, but serving one another humbly in love, Galatians 5.13, requires us to be humble and willing to let people into our lives to receive as well as give. So I encourage you, have a look at those positive stories about what's happening during this time uh, and pray about what the government's going to do to lift the shutdown, pray for wisdom, and above all else, pray that people will be saved through this pandemic because this is an opportunity for the gospel to go out to places it's never gone before. Um, So we're going to start this morning with NBC Kids, and then we'll have some time of worship, and then the sermon, a bit more worship afterwards. Um, We've got an uh, encouraging message too at the beginning of this uh, from John Piper about suffering not being meaningless. 
But uh, yeah, NBC Kids, let's get those actions ready. Let's go. So, hi guys, welcome to NBC Kids. This is Holly with Dad, and we're gonna sing "Remember the Lord" by Colin Buchanan. Watch out, Holly. It's a, <laughs> it's a bit shaky. And Holly's gonna do the actions, and we're gonna show you the actions for the chorus first, and then we'll get into it. So, in the chorus, we go. Remember the Lord, oh, remember that He is in control. Remember the Lord, oh, He is watching His children, He cares, oh, remember the Lord, oh, oh. That's it. So lots of hand waving around like this in oh. Oh, and he's watching his children. You kind of watch. And in the start bit, when we go, remember the Lord, we're going to point to our heads and go, remember the Lord, like that. So let's sing it together with Holly doing the actions. Are we ready? Let's go. If you stub your toe when you get out of bed, you slip in the shower and knock your head. If you miss your brekkie and your bike tires flat, your dog eats your lunch and you step on the cat. Meow! Remember the Lord. Oh, remember that He is in control. Remember the Lord. Oh, He's watching His children. He cares. Oh, remember the Lord. Oh, oh, if you get to school, if you get to school about a half hour late, the principal meets you at the gate, and he can't remember one plus two, and you're busted for something that you did not do, oh, remember the Lord, oh, remember that he is in control, remember the Lord, oh, He's watching his children, he cares, oh, remember the Lord, oh, oh, if your dad is crusty and your mum's in a flap, you spill the custard in your sister's lap, and you're sent to bed and you don't know why, you can't get to sleep and you just want to cry, <laughs> Remember the Lord, oh, remember that He is in control. Remember the Lord, oh, He's watching His children, He cares, oh, remember the Lord, oh, oh. And what's next? If you're hitting the skids and you're up the creek, you're down and out and things look bleak. If you're in the pits and you're out for a duck, you're long in the tooth and short on a buck. What do we do? Remember the Lord. Oh, remember that He is in control. Remember the Lord. Oh, He's watching His children. He cares. Oh. Remember the Lord, oh, oh, remember the Lord, kids. Yay. God's story, the Sermon on the Mount. 
So part of God's story is about a sermon Jesus gave on the side of a mountain and what he did afterwards. And it goes like this. One day, when Jesus saw crowds gathering to hear him teach or see him do miracles, he went to the side of a mountain. It was near the Sea of Galilee, across from a place called Capernaum. From there, he gave a message all about God's kingdom and his love. We call this message the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus started by explaining who would get blessings or favor from God. He said the most blessed people are those who are poor, sad, or humble. He said God shows favor to people who are just or treat others fairly, and people who are merciful or show love to those who don't deserve it. He said the people who are pure, who bring peace, or who get hurt for doing right will be rewarded for their actions in heaven. In other words, the people who love others, even when it makes them seem weak or unimportant on earth, are like heroes in God's kingdom. Anyway, Jesus went on to explain that when we believe in and follow him, it's our job to show everyone else who he is by loving them. That means going out of our way not only to comfort and help our friends, but also forgive people who hurt us, love our enemies, and give to people in need. The thing is, Jesus didn't just talk about love, he showed it all the time. In fact, right after giving this sermon, Jesus spent the rest of the day helping everyone he met. First, as Jesus came down from the mountain, a man with a skin disease called leprosy knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Usually, no one wanted to be around people with leprosy. But Jesus touched him and said, I am willing, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared. Then, when Jesus arrived in Capernaum a bit later, a soldier said to him, Lord, my servant is in terrible pain. Right away, Jesus said, I will come and heal him. The officer said, Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. Jesus told him, Because you believed, it has happened. The officer's servant was healed. A little later, Jesus arrived at his disciple Peter's house. Peter's mother-in-law was there too, sick in bed with a high fever. Jesus touched her hand, and the fever left. Later that evening, many other people who were demon-possessed or sick came to see Jesus. He brought relief to all of them. At the end of the day, Jesus got into a boat with his disciples. Suddenly, a fierce storm came out of nowhere. Waves began crashing into the boat. The disciples realized that even though they were in the middle of a giant storm, Jesus was fast asleep. They shouted, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Jesus said, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he told the wind and waves to stop. They did. That day, Jesus taught a lot of people how to love and showed them what love looks like. Whenever somebody took their sickness or pain or fear to Jesus, he helped them. Everybody who met Jesus got to experience his love. And when we love like Jesus, everyone who meets us can feel his love too. And that's the story of the Sermon on the Mount. So in case you missed it, here's the quick version. Crowds gathered. Jesus went to a mountain. He gave a sermon. 
He talked about God's kingdom. He told us how to love others. Jesus didn't just talk about love. He showed it. He healed sick people. He saved people who were demon-possessed. He calmed storms. He showed his love to everyone he met. Our job is to do that too. And that's a part of God's story. Tremble at his voice 
Seated on his throne 
Well, thanks for joining us, guys, on today's service for NBC Church. Uh, my name's Luke again, and I'm going to be preaching the Word this morning from Hebrews 3. We've been preaching through Hebrews 1 and 2, so now we're going to go through Hebrews 3 together, the entire chapter. Uh, but before we do that, let's just pray, because this will mean nothing unless God uh, is directing it all. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word. Thank you for your goodness to us in the Word, that you've given it to us, Lord, preserved it for us. Thank you, Lord, that these words about your eternal rest that you give us um, and about salvation, how important it is. Um, thank you, Lord, that you've written these down, penned them for us through faithful men. Uh, we just bless your name this morning and thank you for the worship. Thank you for um, the Gerakees for playing uh, worship for us and the other families watching. Pray that we have a blessed time together and we can really get a lot out of this, Father, because it's just important, uh, so, so important to um, hold fast to salvation. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Hebrews 3, I've uh, named this sermon God's Eternal Rest. And uh, we're outside today on a nice day, uh, just out in the yard, and thought I'd preach it from here. So Hebrews 3, let's read it through together first. So Jesus, greater than Moses, therefore holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus... The apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much gl more glory as the builder of a house has, more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put, put me to the test and saw my works for forty years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. And as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you, in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But extort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Um, other translations there say carcasses fell in the wilderness, sort of uh, limbs. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So this begins with another therefore, lots of therefores in Hebrews. Um, so we need to go back to where the therefore comes from. So this portion of scripture means because Jesus is greater than all the angels and that all creation was made by him and for him, and that the angels were in fact created to worship him, that we now consider what is ahead in chapter 3. So verse 1 of Hebrews 3 revolves around making sure we know that our heavenly calling, our salvation, is founded upon a com and completely based in Christ. The Greek word for partner here is 
metokos, which means sharer or associate. And this is beautiful because it means it, that Jesus is inviting us into salvation and grace by invitation, by sharing in it, by allowing us the honor to be saved. We are admonished here to consider Jesus, to think upon him, to dwell on him, to enjoy him. The word here means to discover Jesus, to observe him, to marvel in him. He is the supreme object of all our affections, not an afterthought, not an addition to our busy lives that we cling to for material riches. He is salvation. He is life. He is peace. He is joy. He is holiness. Jesus here is also put into two offices, that of apostle and of priest. This means that he's brought the gospel to us as an apostle and delivered us the good news, and that he also presents us to God as innocent because of his own blood. And Matthew says, says this of the uh, Jesus apostle role. Matthew Henry says, Christ is to be considered as the apostle of our profession, the messenger sent by God to men, the great revealer of that faith which we profess to hold, and of that hope which we profess to have. As Christ the Messiah, anointed for the office both of apostle and high priest, as Jesus our Savior, our healer, the great physician of souls, consider him thus. Consider what he is in himself, what he is to us, and what he will be to us hereafter and forever. Jesus is the one sent to us to deliver salvation. To deliver freedom. To deliver faith. He was sent by God specifically to die for sinners and to rise again on the third day, defeating death. Jesus is the messenger sent to us to spread salvation to the world. But not only the actual message, but the means for salvation. He is our all in all, as the song says. Verse 3, Jesus is described here as being greater than Moses. That the glory of even Moses and how his face shone when he saw God and uh, delivered the Israelites from Egypt, which was a type and shadow of what Jesus did for us. That's what that story is about. The pale, this pale comparison is what drives the writer to make sure that Jesus is known as the far greater thing we should be worshipping. A house doesn't get the glory for its own creation. The builder does. The building company does. And the people that build it. Jesus is the architect of salvation, but also the means of salvation. Moses was faithful with what God had given him to do, except for bringing the people into the promised land. But Jesus is perfectly faithful to his mission. Jesus is faithful to handle God's house. A worldwide church that's ever-growing and saints who are ever-pleasing God. Jesus is the king of all. A bigger house. A much harder to manage house. Verse 6, we are of his house. In fact, if we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope we take pride in. This is saying we are God's house now. Not temples, not places, not things, not particular rocks or monuments, but we are his house. Chuck Smith says this of God dwelling with us. He says, the interesting thing to me, the glorious thing to me, is that God desires to dwell with his people. Now, he could dwell anywhere in the universe that he pleased, and he does fill the universe, but it's the Lord's desire to come and dwell among his people. God just loves dwelling among his people. Oh, that we would recognize the presence of God as he comes to dwell among his people. And so tonight, as we lift our voices in worship and praise unto him, God dwelling here in the midst of his people, just an awesome reality how God loves to dwell among his people. So that's from Chuck Smith of uh, Calvary Chapel Church, I believe. 
So verse 7 starts by using Psalm 95 to explain how the Israelites threw away their salvation in the wilderness and rebelled against God, hardening their hearts to God's grace and care. But that we through Jesus have such an amazing way that we can relate to God as adopted in kids. And we went through this uh, last week, how we are adopted into God's family, not just called children generally, but sons and daughters of the King. We get to enter into eternal rest. And because Jesus has once for all entered the holy place to atone for sin, we enter his rest now in this life, the rest from working to be saved, the rest from earning favor from God, the rest from striving to maintain holiness with our own feeble efforts. There is no greater gift than peace with God. And yet the Israelites were growing tired of God's provision in the desert. What could be a bigger waste than growing tired of God's perfect provision right when you need it? It's almost like being fed up that you have a house and things to eat and clothes on your back and shoes on your feet and just becoming apathetic to that. But that's what they were doing. So we go on. We are in the same predicament. When we consider the cost of following Jesus and choose to go the opposite way, leaving all that provision, the care he gives us, the joy, the gifts of the Spirit, we sometimes weigh up the cost of following Jesus and the joy of knowing him as if they're actually comparable on a small set of kitchen scales, either or. But the author of Hebrews here is saying that we should not fall prey to sin and let it entangle us, pulling us in uh, multiple directions away from Jesus and the benefits he gives us by hardening ourselves to him. And you see this all through scripture, hardening of hearts happening. The whole point of this book is to point our gaze and tension back onto Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we'll find our greatest peace, our greatest comfort, our greatest joy. It's all there in Christ. Our rest, it's all there. And in speaking of the deceitfulness of sin, Matthew Henry says this, and the quote is there, Sin appears fair, but it's vile. It appears pleasant, but it's destructive. It promises much, but it performs nothing. The deceitfulness of sin hardens the soul. One sin allowed makes way for another, and every act of sin confirms the habit. Let everyone be aware. Beware of sin. So in light of how beautiful and right and altogether pure Jesus is, guard your hearts. Keep them focused on Jesus and his finished work. Keep your hearts abstinent from the appearance of evil so that we may walk with God with a clean conscience. Pray about areas you're struggling in. Ask someone to help you. I need to do this daily with a multitude of sins that keep coming back to bite me. And we all do. We all have those sins that the, the enemy just wants us to do again and again. And we've got to fight those. It's a constant fight. It's a battle. But we're all here to help each other. Now, verse 13 we're moving on to now. So verse 13 lets us know that we are to encourage and comfort one another in these areas of straying from Christ as a church and as believers. We're to help each other live more like Jesus. We are to right now encourage one another in our faith. And the Greek word for today used there is semeron, which basically means now. So this is a constantly ongoing command to encourage each other to leave the deceitfulness of sin behind and to run to Jesus. It's given because we take our eyes off of him so easily. All it takes is one click away, wrong, one wrong thumb press on a screen, uh, one wrong banner or page, and then we're off track and we're down the rabbit trail of sin. 
One person, one thought can throw us off and have the option of running down the wide open path to deception. But we have an advocate here in Jesus who is far greater than Moses, far greater than all the angels, far greater than everything, far more beautiful than any other advocate and can do more for us because he knows our hearts and minds. This is absolutely crucial. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom is, was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Our confession of faith is held until we die. That confession of faith is proof of salvation. We are saved by God. He grants us faith. He holds us in his hand. And nobody and no thing can pluck us out again. Those who fall away prove they never had saving faith to begin with and need God's saving faith to change them. This is one of the great doctrines of the faith, the perseverance of the saints until the end. They, they are the ones that are truly saved, the ones that, that have, cannot be plucked out of God's hands. Those who are saved work out their salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul said, under Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And yes, they fail in areas, we all do, but they do not neglect Jesus. They do not throw aside faith for the trinkets and tiny temporal pleasures of this world as a substitute. Those in the wilderness grew so tired of God's provision, they literally grumbled against it. They loathed God's actual saving hand and his power. This is a picture of the modern Christian who hates God's call on their life, pushes Jesus away, and wants to leave his care, Jesus' care, for other idols and ridiculous things. Let's encourage each other not to do this. Let's encourage each other to be just like Jesus and faithful to the call. There were only a select few who got to see the promised land. This is staggering because all the Israelites were chosen to get there. They were supposed to be there. But their unbelief of all things was what led them to be banned from entering. Not their grumbling or idolatry, but their unbelief. The Benson's commentary has this to say about the unbelief of the Israelites in the wilderness. The conclusion we draw from the whole, the whole is that they could not enter in because of unbelief, though afterward they desired it in looking over the whole story of the sins of the Israelites and of God's dealings with them. One would be apt to fix upon some other causes of their exclusions from Canaan as the Jews, their posterity, do at this day. But our apostle here, the writer, lays it absolutely and wholly on their unbelief, which he proves to have been the chief spring and cause of all their provocations. That's from Benson's commentary. So let's all learn from the unbelief of the Israelites as an example that holding fast to God's provision, care, salvation and power are paramount in our lives. There's no other option for believers but to hold fast to Jesus. There's no created thing that is even close to matching the beauty and the majesty and the eternality and the power of Jesus above all things. Nobody else has overcome the world and nobody else has our best interest at heart but God. And as we move into a time of worship and prayer, let's be the church that encourages each other. Even when we're not together and to abstain from sin. To be light and salt in the world and to care for one another, as the writer of Hebrews is saying. The early church did this and so can we as the Naracourt Baptist Church and the church at large. Let's pray together. 
Lord, we thank you for these words, Lord, that are powerful, that you, Jesus, are above all things, and that you help us to work out our salvation. The Holy Spirit's power enables us to um, obey God and to learn from you and to do what you say and um, to listen to you and be changed by you, Father. Help us not to get hard hearts or complacent or grow weary of your provision because you do so much for us every day, Lord. You keep us alive. How much more uh, can you do for us than what you do for us? Um, Your mercies are new every morning and we thank you for them. And we ask, Lord, that as we move into a time of worship now, that you would speak to us through these songs and keep speaking to us through the word. Um, And just thank you for this church. Thank you for every person here, the Garrickies, Lord, who have helped with music. Um, And we think of uh, Mr. Pomery and others, Lord, that who maybe can't get out as much. We just pray that you would care for them and uh, look after them, Lord. Um, And I pray that we can uh, be a church that looks after each other and helps each other not to be entangled with sin and not to be entangled with idolatry and things in the world that will just pull us away from you um, and will just be a thorn in our side. Help us, Lord, to encourage each other and to stay connected even though we're apart for a bit. And we just thank you, Lord, that we can still have church, still meet together this way, um, and still study the Bible together eventually as well. Um, Just thank you, Lord, for your provision uh, and for this church and help it to be a, a witnessing church, a salt and light church in the town as we move into uh, the rest of this year. And thank you, Lord, for today. And we thank you for all you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's move into a time of worship now. And let's sing.
mountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sin is plunged beneath thy flood lose all the guilty stains lose all the guilty stains lose all the guilty stains and sin is plunged beneath thy flood lose all the guilty stains the dying thief rejoice to see that fountain in his day and there may I go while as he wash all my sins away wash all my sins away wash all my sins away and Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power. Deal all the ransom, church of God, be saved to see no of God be saved to see no more it seems by faith I saw the stream thy flowing wounds supply redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die and shall be till I die and shall be till I die